If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter number 19. First Kings chapter number 19. I always get winded leading singing. It's singing and waving those arms. It just wears me out. And uh, I can wave my arms fine or I can sing fine, but when I have to do both, it's like works the brain and works the uh, lungs. And, uh, and apparently I need to exercise more, obviously. And so, but... Uh, all in good time. First Kings chapter number 19. We've been going through the life of, of Elijah. And uh, last week we looked at him and Jezebel and, and how Jezebel had really threatened his life. It, it is amazing as you look at the life of Elijah, uh, really his ups and downs. And uh, really we can kind of relate to Elijah. If you are a a uh, human being with a pulse, uh, you have some kind of emotion, all right? Everyone has a different amount of emotion. Some are more emotional than others. And, and uh, I heard, I heard uh, uh, this line one time that uh, it was about guys, and, and they said, oh, that's emotion. We bury that deep, and we just don't talk about it. And that's true. A lot of times guys tend to be like that, so we don't all... Uh, necessarily display our emotions, but sometimes we have, a, or here in the Bible rather, we have an insight into the personal life of Elijah. Boy, I am so glad my life is not recorded in Scripture, by the way. Uh, boy, uh, that's something to be thankful for. Uh, but, but you know what? God gives us a picture and allows us to see that he uses weak human vessels just like you and I. And, and we can really relate to them. And that's what the book of James says when he talks about that the Elijah was a man of like passions, just like you and I are. And, uh, and we can see that in the life of Elijah. We see him at the height uh, of his ministry where he's very bold and, and flamboyant and, and goes after the king just as God had commanded him. And, and we see his actions. And then we see him in a very discouraged state after Jezebel threatens him and he runs for his life and we find him under a juniper tree and he's praying and he's saying, Lord, just take my life. I'm all done. Uh, nobody else is, is following you and, and I tried and, and we, find, we find Elijah discouraged in his life. And I think it goes even a step further and we see Elijah this week not just discouraged but I would almost say depressed. And uh, in 1 Kings chapter number 19, we find that he's dwelt on that discouragement and he's arrived at a, uh, yet another low point in his life. The Bible says here in 1 Kings chapter number 19, in verse number 8, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous. For the Lord God of hosts, the children of Israel, have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, 
am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rock, rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this passage, God, that speaks so many volumes to us. God, what an important passage, what an important thing to note in your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray as we look at this lesson, God, that we would uh, learn the lessons that you would have for us from the life of Elijah. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just an interesting note that I would point out here, as Moses uh, had been discouraged, of course, and the angel of God, which was Christ in in the Old Testament, uh, had fed him and taken care of him. Uh, Then he goes and and he continues his journey, and the Bible says he goes all the way to Mount Horeb. Uh, And just an interesting note, in in Exodus chapter number 3, you can go back and look it up in verse number 1, uh, it talks about more Mount Horeb as the place that Moses had been, and, uh, and it's synonymous really with Mount Sinai. Sometimes the Bible places had more than one name. Uh, You've got to remember it did span uh, several thousand years throughout the Old Testament, and so names would change as time would go on, or sometimes it would have two names uh, for the same place. So Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb is believed to be the same place. And that's just an interesting note uh, to make of the fact of where uh, Elijah was going. And I don't know exactly why he was going there, um, but, uh, but we do know that that is where he went. The Bible says so there in verse number 8. But as we look at this passage, I want us to note a few things about the life of Elijah. The first thing I want you to notice is the probing question that God asks. Look with me in verse number 9. And the Bible says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Every time, I know I've mentioned this before, but every time a question is asked, and it is God asking the question, you have to pause and and note to yourself, here is God of the universe that knows all. He's not ignorant of what is going on in Elijah's life. He's not ignorant of where Elijah is in his life. He's not ignorant of how Elijah feels in his life at this time. God is very aware. Uh, After all, the Bible says that uh, the very hairs of our head are numbered. And so if God knows how many hairs we have, there's no doubt he can read the feelings of Elijah fairly easily. And so he knows what is going on in, in Elijah's life, and he's not asking out of ignorance. God is not saying, wait a minute, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
wait, I, I thought you were supposed to be over there. Or uh, he's not asking because he does not know. But he's asking Elijah because it is a probing, convicting question of, of God knows what is going on. I'll give you an illustration. I've used this before, and uh, I generally try not to use my kids as illustrations, but they're grown up and they're not here, so I'll use them. And uh, I remember when our girls were little, they were twins. And, uh, and we were, my wife and I, we were busy. I don't know what we were doing, and, and the house went quiet. And they were, I don't know, two years old, I don't remember. But, but you know, if you have toddlers and your house goes quiet, there's something wrong. I mean, there just is. And so we went on the prowl. I mean, we're like, what's going on? What are they, in, what are they doing that they are not supposed to be doing? And, uh, and so I, I walked in, and that time we had a bathroom that had two sinks. That's perfect for twins. I don't even know why we had two sinks in that bathroom. We just did. And uh, here's both of the girls standing on stools, and they had gotten the soap, and, and they were making bubbles. I mean, the sink was overflowing with bubbles. I mean, they were having a good old time. Now, I'm the parent, and I'm, I have the clear advantage because I've walked up behind them. They don't even know that I'm there. I'm just watching them as they're making bubbles and laughing and splashing and having a good old time. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what a mess. Oh, my word. And so I stood there for a second, as a good father would, looked at it all, and then I said, what are you doing in here? And of course, after they jumped off of the stool, scared to death because they had been caught, uh, you know, they put their hands behind their back as, as a child would often do, and, and soap dripping everywhere, and nothing. I mean, they were just scared to death. When I walked in that bathroom, I didn't ask them what they were doing in there because I did not know. I knew exactly what they were doing. I had taken the time to pause and observe the situation and what was going on. I asked them because I wanted them to contemplate, hey, what are we doing here? Now, granted, they're two years old, so I, a little above them, but but listen, God deals with his children in much the same way as a parent would deal with their child when he comes to Elijah and he says to him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And God is asking a question because he wants Elijah to realize where he is in his life and how he has wandered from where he ought to be and where God wants him to be. And so it is a very probing question. And as we analyze it, uh, there are two things. Matter of fact, he says the same exact question in verse number 9, and he repeats it in verse number 13 at the end of the verse. It says, And behold, in the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here? Elijah. Two times that he is asked and it's worded here in the Word of God. And so it is a very important question. I want you to notice two things about the question. He was asking about his, uh, his busyness, his occupation, what he was doing. He says, what doest thou? And if you think about it, Elijah in his life was discouraged. He probably at this point may, may have very well been depressed. 
And, uh, and God was probing Elijah so that Elijah would realize, hey, he once was occupied in the service of God, uh, administering to uh, Ahab and to Jezebel, though they did not like it and though they did not receive it well, still Elijah was busy serving the Lord. Even when he went by the brook Cherith in a, in a capacity, though somewhat subdued from his public ministry, he was in service to the Lord in a private time with God. Even when that dried up and he was sent to Zarephath, he was in service of God because God had said to him every step of the way, Elijah, I want you to go here. Elijah, I want you to go here. And we see the things that as Elijah has done and how God has, has provided and taken care of Elijah. But at this point, we find Elijah in horror. And God says, what doest thou here? Hey, hey, wait a minute. I, I didn't send you to Horeb. I wasn't the one that, that, that said, I want you to go to Mount Horeb. And, and so he was probing Elijah saying, hey, wait a minute. You need to question yourself on what you are doing in your life. It's an analysis. What is he doing? Hey, listen, as, as we think about that, listen, many times, much time is wasted. And listen, uh, you can recoup things. Sometimes we, uh, we I'm, I'm a guy that loves value. And I just, man, there is nothing greater to me than value. And so if I buy something, uh, I want it to last for years. I recently retired uh, a pair of cowboy boots that I had. And I, I'm not kidding you, though I put three soles on those cowboy boots. I had them since 04, maybe before that. And, and I just, I wore them things and, and forever. And I've, I've preached in three continents with them in, in Europe and South America and North America. And I just love them. But I had to retire them. They finally uh, started to crack. And I love value, man. I, if I buy something, uh, I, would, I would rather not pay, pay. My wife's like, shoes are so expensive for guys. That's because I don't want to pay $10 and wear them for a year. I, I'd rather pay $100 and wear them for 10 years. That's just, that's me. That's the way kind of guy I am. I want to buy something that is going to last for a very long time. I love value. But, but here, you know, sometimes we, we lose something or we waste something. And I don't like to waste stuff. But listen, even wasted possessions can be recuperated. Even sins can be forgiven. But wasted time is gone. Lost time is lost for all of eternity. And the Bible reminds us that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. And Elijah is now out of play. He's out of the game. He is not uh, serving the Lord as he ought to be. And he's all the way down in Mount Horeb. Uh, what a, an extensive journey he had to take to get there. And he's not serving the Lord as he ought to be. And it's time lost. And, and God says, what doest Thou hear, Elijah. And it's a question of, what are you doing? You're wasting so much time. You're not serving me like you ought to be. And it's a very probing question as he asks about his occupation, but not just his occupation and his busyness or his use of his time, but he also asks him about his location. He's saying, hey, what doest thou here? After all, Elijah had been ministering in Israel. He had been ministering to the king Ahab and Jezebel. He had been ministering to the uh, widow woman that was in Zarephath. He had been ministering as he was involved there in ministry. 
ministry. But as he left, he is no longer involved in the ministry. Israel is far away, and he's not where he ought to be. Hey, we ought to be careful that we don't wander away from God. We don't wander away from where we ought to be ministering, where we ought to be serving. And listen, Elijah here has gotten far away, and God asks him, What doest thou here? Look at Elijah's answer as he, uh, as he knows where he is at. He knows what he is doing. We kind of see his condition as well. In verse number 10, the, the Bible says there in verse number 10, And he said... I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. As you read, uh, as you read Elijah's answer, Look at what he says there in the beginning. He says, I have been very jealous. I'm reminded as we read that, we need to be very careful of our has-beens. Of our has-beens. What does that mean? That means, well, you ever talk to somebody and, uh, and you say, well, you know, uh, they'll tell you this. Well, I, I have been a teacher in a Sunday school and I have been this and I have been that. That's all good and that's all wonderful, but that is all in the past. And you cannot live in the past. We must live in the present and we must stay busy serving the Lord currently and not live on what we used to do or where we have been or what we did do, but rather on what we are doing. And Elijah takes God back as an excuse and says, I have been jealous for the Lord. In other words, hey, I was, man, I was on fire for you and I was serving you and I was zealous for you. And certainly Elijah was very zealous and Elijah was uh, serving the Lord in a strong way, but he is no longer serving the Lord as he has withdrawn himself and gone all the way to Horeb and he's sitting on the sidelines, no longer involved in the ministry that God has for him. That's what he tells God. He says, I have been. Not only Elijah's condition is revealed as he says uh, that, that he was. Uh, I want you to notice some of the things that he says at the very end. Look at what he says. I, even I only, am left. Listen, sometimes we're, we're tempted to think that. And I tell you what, I, I've been in, in some lonely positions in ministry. I remember serving the Lord and and. In Peru, we had many, mis many missionaries around us. I mean, we really, it was a blessing. And uh, we had other people that were close to us. When we went to Italy, man, we were down there all by ourselves. There was nobody close. There were no other uh, churches that were close to us. I mean, we were it. And you talk about lonely, and sometimes you look around and you think, man, am I, I'm the only one that's serving the Lord. I'm the only one that's doing something. And you can get discouraged, and you can get frustrated. But listen, uh, we need to understand, hey, that God has other people. We find that out a little bit later. He says, uh, and we'll get to that, but he says, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so we're not the only one. 
we, we, we need to be careful of this mindset. I'm often uh, reminded of, man, one of the things that I loved about traveling on deputation was we would go to this, and I'm not kidding you, we would go to this little podunk church in this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere that you had to drive to that place on purpose. You would never just drive by that place by accident. Never. Never in a million years. And, and as I would do that and go to this place and that place and this place and that place, I was reminded and, and I, was, I was so encouraged by the fact that, hey, here's a church over here. Here's a church over here. Here's a church over here. And those guys are faithfully serving the Lord. And I'm reminded Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night as I come to the pulpit and as I preach the Word of God, hey, that we're not alone in the ministry. There are people that are all over the United States of America that are getting a King James Bible. They're standing in a pulpit this morning and they're preaching the Word of God over and over. And it's not just in America. As I traveled, man, praise the Lord, I went to some backwood places in Peru. And here you have a, 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 a Peruvian pastor that go to the pulpit every Sunday morning. Here you have a, a, a pastor in Paraguay, a pastor in Bolivia, a pastor in Ecuador, and, and preachers that are in Asia. And I'm saying, hey, don't ever think that I'm all alone in this business of serving the Lord. Don't ever think that I'm, I'm, I'm the only one that's doing what's right. It may seem like it when you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are not doing right when you're at work or when you're in the world. But don't fall for the lie and don't swallow Satan's lie that you're the only one because you certainly are not. There are others that are serving the Lord. And listen, even if you are the only one, hey, just keep serving the Lord. <laughs> don't give up even if you are. Uh, I don't think you are. I don't think you ever will be. Not in your lifetime. But you just keep serving the Lord and doing what God would have you to do. We find Elijah's answer and his condition, not only that, but Israel's condition. It certainly was a wicked place. It certainly was a bad day. I mean, look at the condition of Israel. Look at what he says there. Uh, they have, uh, the children of Israel, in verse number 10, the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Let me just mention these. Thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. Let me just mention this and we'll move on. You better be careful about walking away from the Word of God. It's, there's a threefold message right there that's very simple, that the children of Israel forsook the covenant of God. That God had made promises to them, given it to them through the prophets, written it down and recorded it in His Word, and they set it down and walked away from it and said, hey, we're for shaking that. We're leaving what God has promised us. Not only that, but the Bible says they broke down the altars. They took the altars and they didn't just leave them so that they would fall apart of disuse, but rather they dismantled them so that they would not be used. Perhaps they used the stones for other things. We don't know. We ought to be careful never to abandon the Word of God, never to abandon or break down on purpose our relationship with God. That altar in the Old Testament represents communication between man and God. 
That's what it stands for. Hey, we ought to never lose communication with God in our lives. They walked away from God's covenant. They walked away from the communication of God. And then the third thing was, hey, they started killing the prophets of God. In other words, they were saying, hey, uh, not only do we, uh, we're, we're leaving our relationship with God. We're not in, it doesn't matter to us the communication of God. But boy, they started to, uh, uh, they started to grill the prophets of God. Hey, you better be careful about talking about preachers. I, I, my, I, my whole life, my dad always raised us. You better be careful talking about a man of God. Men of God are not perfect. I know that. I, I am whole, wholeheartedly aware of that. But it is not our job to tear them down. It's not our job to grill them with our tongue. It's not our job to destroy them. You leave that to God. God is more than able to take care of a prophet that is roaming rogue. You look in the Word of God, you'll find that he did it time and time again. God's capable of doing that. That's not our job. And so uh, we ought to be very careful about, about uh, throwing down the uh, prophet of God. And they were killing the prophets of God. Go with me to the next passage there, the next verses. We see the probing of God. I want you to see the principle and the lesson that he taught him in verse number 11. Of course, God says uh, in verse number 11, And he saith, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. There's, a, there's God's lesson here that he's giving to Elijah. It is a fourfold object lesson. Uh, I love object lessons. I'm not very good at giving them, but, uh, but when I see them, I'm like, oh, I love that. And when, uh, when, I was in, when I was a kid in junior church or when I would teach or, or um, teach kids, object lessons are wonderful. And, and, and kids are great because they're just like wide-eyed, you know. They're just, they just believe everything. They see everything. They're like, wow, did you see that? And, and they love object lessons. And, and God here gives a spectacular object lesson. Matter of fact, he sends the earthquake. Uh, or what's the first one? The, um, in verse number 11, it's the strong wind, which, by the way, says uh, the Bible says, break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's some pretty powerful wind. And, uh, and so God sends a, a strong wind. Then God sends an earthquake uh, that would rumble. If you've never been in an earthquake, um, man, there is. I, I've not been in an earthquake, but I've been in several tremors. And I was, one time I was in a building in Peru, they used to have earthquakes. And I was sitting, I don't know, second, third story up, whatever it was. And my wife and I, we were just sitting there. It was a doctor's office or something. And, and as we were sitting there, it sounded like, a big old semi-truck was going by outside of the door, and, and it was uh, riding on bare metal. I mean, it, it didn't have any rubber wheels under it. It was like, Bleh. and we're just like, wonder what's driving by. Well, while we were wondering what in the world was driving by, people started getting up and running toward the doors. And we're like, and, and, and it quit, and it stopped. And we're like, oh, I think that was just a tremor. <laughs> And we were, obviously we weren't, we were obviously very ignorant to what those things were. But those people that lived there, they were not because they have felt them before. And, uh, and, and so, uh, boy, uh, an earthquake, I've not been in one, but I've been in tremors that are just like, wow. I mean, they make the place shake and it is quite impressive. Uh, and then God sent a fire by. And, uh, and I want you to notice this. 
that God was not, it says it after everyone, but the Lord was not in the wind, but the Lord was not in the fire, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. He was not in all of those things. And what's the lesson that God is teaching Elijah? I want you to get this. God's presence is not guaranteed by a powerful demonstration. You think about that for a minute. Where was Elijah? Well, Elijah was in Mount Horeb. But where was he in his life? You go back and you look. What was, the, what was one of the first things? Elijah bursts onto the scene and he proclaims to Ahab, hey, there's not going to be rain or dew until I say so. And God withholds the rain. You talk about a powerful, mighty demonstration. God pulls back all the rain and does not allow it to rain in Israel. Goes on a little bit later, three years later. Uh, by the way, during that three years, the, Elijah was, of course, by the brook Cherith, and God took care of him and fed him there and then moved him to Zarephath. And at the widow woman, he provided miraculously through the, uh, through the meal and the oil that would not run out. And then the widow's son dies, and Elijah sees the son raised back to life. Then Elijah goes back to Mount Carmel, where there's this spectacular showdown with a huge audience of all of Israel that's gathered out there. And, uh, and, and they... the, the prophets of Baal pray from the morning until evening sacrifice, the Bible says. Then what happens? Elijah says a short prayer. And God spectacularly sends down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the water, and everything that was there. And the Bible, the Bible just shows the spectacular demonstration of God. Elijah has witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle, spectacular event after spectacular event. But he brings him to this mountain, and he gives him a lesson. Hey, listen, God's not always in the wind. He's not always in the earthquake. He's not always in the fire. Listen, just because it's spectacular, just because it's powerful, just because it's a great demonstration, does not guarantee the presence of God in those things. And he's showing Elijah that. Boy, we're so caught up on the spectacular. We're drawn to the spectacular. We're drawn to the show as humans, as people. We are drawn to, uh, to be wowed with that show or with that thing or with that presentation. We are wowed by all of that. We think, wow, it must be of God. Let me tell you something. It is not always of God. Hey, listen, you can have a large crowd with wonderful attendance. You can have, uh, you can have great offerings. You can have uh, a TV broadcast that you put out. But but it does not mean it's of God. We need to be careful of that because we're prone to think and we're programmed to think, well, if it's all big and it's all good, then it must be of God. No, it's not always of God. And we need to be careful of that thought. But the Bible says in verse number 12, and after the fire, a still small voice. Listen, God's presence, the first lesson that God was teaching Elijah is that God's presence is not guaranteed by powerful demonstration. The second principle that he was teaching is God's presence is not ruled out because of still smallness or small stillness. Hey, listen, 
God wants to come to us in a still small voice on Monday when you pick up your Bible and say, God, I want to hear from you. It doesn't have to be fireworks and lightning and an earthquake and a fire show that God is showing His presence and teaching you something. It is a still, small voice that He speaks to people. And we need to be careful from looking at the spectacular. And John Butler puts it this way, the fact that God, or the fact God was not in the wind, earthquake, and fire, says God is not primarily in the business of turning heads, but of moving hearts. Hey, listen, God's got to move hearts. Matter of fact, we find that in the spectacular, in that fire that was called down from heaven, the bulk of those people, we don't know, the Bible doesn't record for us, but how many hearts were moved? Oh, heads were moved. They all saw it. Boy, they were, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, if fire fell from heaven, my eyes would go whoop, and they'd be big. I'd be like, wow, did you see that? I mean, fire just fell from heaven. I'd be talking about it for, for, for weeks, months afterwards. But listen, that's all good and everything, but how many hearts were moved? Oh, listen, it's far better that God would speak to us in a still, small voice and that a heart would be moved versus people being swayed and wowed by the spectacular. And listen, we need God to move in our hearts. There's a danger in the powerful dramatic hype that, that is often put out to draw a large crowd, and it does. But the problem is, in order to keep that crowd, you have to maintain that high dramatic hype. Because when you drop it, the crowds walk away. And listen, we have got to... I find it far more important that our hearts be moved by the still small voice of God than some spectacular show. Oh, I'm wowed by a show just like you are. Oh, I'm impressed by stuff just like you are. But I would rather hear from God than to be wowed or impressed by some show. God is speaking to Elijah, and this is the principle. We have the probing question. We have the principle that, that God is teaching Elijah. Go with me to verse number 15, and I'll just mention these for sake of time. We have the predictions that he gives Elijah. Elijah's not done. Some think, well, Elijah's all done in the ministry. No, Elijah's not done. Matter of fact, he goes on, and there is more to the life of Elijah. And, and we have uh, here several predictions that he gives and I want you to notice these in verse number 15. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, look at what he tells him, Anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Just a quick note on Haziel. Haziel was a leader who became the enemy of Israel. And here God's prophet is commanded to anoint him as the next leader uh, there in, in Syria. And, uh, and God had appointed Haziel to be the judgment of God on Israel for her sin with Balaam and idolatry. And so God ordains a, a foreign leader uh, to be a, a judgment upon Israel. Look at verse number 16. 
and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. So he's already appointing a new ruler to be over Israel, and he is to go and anoint uh, Jehu. Now Jehu was God's uh, judgment even upon Ahab and his family. Matter of fact, it was Jehu uh, that, that drew the bow and shot the son of Ahab through the heart. It was Jehu uh, that was there when Jezebel had, had, had fled and was hiding in a tower. And, and Jehu comes by and, uh, and he says, who's on the Lord's side? And a couple men said, we are. And he said, chuck her down. And they threw Jezebel out of the, the window of that tower, and she died, and they trampled her with horses. I tell you, you talk about an exciting book, man, you just read it. It is filled with exciting stuff. God brought judgment upon Ahab and upon his house and his family and upon Jezebel for their wickedness and for their Baal worship. God brought judgment on that. And, and Elijah was to anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel. Not only that, but in verse number 16, and Jehu, the son of Nimishi, uh, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abelameh, Boy, that's a big name. Shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room? So he appoints Elisha. That's why we only use his first name. We can't say the son of that big old long name there. He says, um, he says hey, he's going to be the next prophet in your stead. I want you to anoint him. So we have the prophet of Israel, the, the prince of Israel, the potentate of Syria, and, and then the punishment of Israel. Look at what takes place in verse number 17. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Listen, evil does not go unpunished before God. It's either got to be confessed and forgiven or it has to be punished. It's one of the two. And we find that Israel did not confess and forsake her sins. And therefore it was punished. And I want you to notice lastly in verse number 18. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Lastly, there's people of faith. that he's saying, hey, you're not the only one. There's others that are out there. Oh, you might not have rubbed shoulders with them. You might not know who they are. You might not have seen them, but they are there and they are serving the Lord. They have not bowed the knee to Baal. They have not kissed the idol of Baal. They are not involved in that idolatry and Baal worship. And he was just encouraging Elijah. As, as we see here, uh, Elijah is getting some new assignments and God is giving him some work to do. What an encouragement as we look at the life of Elijah. We see the probing questions of God. We see the principle. What a great lesson that God was teaching Elijah. Oh, how we should learn to listen for that still small voice that God would speak to our hearts every single day. As we stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, lessons, the principles that God taught Elijah, the predictions that God gave Elijah, Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Thank you, God, for your amazing, wonderful, tender care of a prophet who was discouraged, very possibly depressed, and out of service from you. Thank you, God, for tenderly bringing him back.
putting him in the ministry. God, I pray that you'd help us as we strive to serve you. God, sometimes we do get discouraged. Sometimes we do get depressed. God, thank you for your probing questions that you ask us. God, I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes focused on you, not on the spectacular, powerful events, but our ears tuned to that still, small voice that so desires to speak to us every day. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person as only you can. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and we have a short hymn of invitation. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. The altar's open. Maybe, maybe you've forsaken the covenant of the Lord like Israel did. Maybe you broke down the altar and said, well, I'm not having my devotions. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe it's 